With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Happy Florida State Week. Happy, happy Florida State Week. 2-0 for the first time in a couple of years week and other things. Yeah, we usually just commemorate this week by just kind of like messing around and having fun with the Nulls and knowing we're going to lose. But then, like, last year we almost sent it to overtime, and this year we might win. Knowles are messing around and, and look pretty terrible, and ESPN's Football Power Index thinks that we're the favorite, and we look a lot better than them, weirdly, against, like, oh, I won't say similar competition. They played Virginia Tech, who looks pretty good, but we blew out our FCS team, and they played, like, a better FCS team, but almost got, like, really almost got beat. So, yeah, it's, uh, and we're at home. Yeah, there's a, I get the, I, I'm, I'm trying to stay muted in my expectations, but I don't think it's unrealistic to say this should be a very competitive game. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there, there's a couple different struggles here for Florida State, obviously, and this is something we're going to get into more in the second half. But when you have a defense that's struggling to stop the pass, when you have an offensive line that's struggling to stop pressure, uh, those two things would kind of lean right into the things that Syracuse has actually shown themselves to be decent at this year. Um, obviously, our defense isn't that great. Um, and that leads to Florida State probably being able to get its offense going. Uh, should be a shootout of some sort. But again, things we'll talk about in the second half of this episode. Right now, Dan, talking a little bit about uh, our, our previous game. Obviously, you know, you don't want to bring too many like takeaways necessarily from you know beating up on a team like Wagner. But at the same time, uh, a couple things that I noticed uh, off the top. Offensive line struggled once again, this time against a much worse team than Western Michigan. Receivers looked a lot better. Devin Butler did not, even if the numbers seemed to indicate otherwise. Eric Dungy, for a second, I thought, looked like he was still feeling the after effects of whatever shoulder injury he had. And uh, I think over the course of the game, he worked those out. Andre Sisco is awesome. He also can let up big plays because he's going for a big play. But I'll accept that trade-off if he's going to keep picking the ball off. And then number five, and don't feel like you have to respond to all of these, Jarvin Howard's going to be a really great running back for us. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to digest everything you just you just said. Uh, working from the back, uh, I guess, because that was the most recent thing, uh, Jarvin Howard did look really, really good. Unfortunately, I mean, it was like a little bit past the time where I kind of zoned out in the game a little bit because I was focusing on other games. But when I you know, did look up, he looked like the player that we kind of discussed preseason. I, I think I said a couple weeks ago that I thought he might get involved in the run game since – you know, there are lingering questions about Strickland and Neal, who, I, who have both had a very good moments through these first two games. But I do think Howard has shown enough to where, uh, you know, it's an overall opponent. But still, like, I think he brings a different dimension to those two guys, and I, I wouldn't mind seeing him in some bigger spots. Um, I think Neal's been very good for two games. It was nice to see Dungy play a little bit more of, like, a normal quarterback game. Obviously, his his rushing is a thing, but I, I like to see him, you know, dropping back there and throwing five touchdowns. That was nice. And... Mostly avoiding, uh, you know, big hits and, and craziness that we saw in the Western Michigan game. I was, you know, there were some moments of concern with the with the defense. Obviously, the, the touchdown drive 
they went right down the field on us, uh, and that was early enough in the game where it kind of spooked everyone. We did a really nice job against their running attack, though, which was uh, positive considering we had talked about Ryan Fulce, who I think had 280 yards in the previous game. He had 47 on 21 carries in this game, and overall they had 41 yards on 41 carries. Uh, so we really stifled that, uh, as you should against an FCS opponent. But you know that's holding someone to one yard carry is pretty good. But they did they did take advantage on the um, against our our secondary when they did complete passes, uh, which you know they were they threw about fifty percent, but they were getting about fourteen yards uh, over fourteen yards of catch, which is not great. Uh, they had three players go for catches over twenty yards. Um, obviously, the one big one to Darren Wilson. So that remains a concern and one that I think. Uh, will carry itself into this sort of state matchup where they, you know, have been super impressive, but they do have uh, a veteran quarterback in DeAndre Francois and some some very fast receivers as we've gotten to know over the last couple of years. So uh, definitely some good takeaways from the Wagner game, but 62-10 against an FCS opponent should be what we expect, and uh, I'm obviously happy with it, but it wasn't, like, so much of a, a slaughter that there are, like, no concerns about our team after this game either. That's kind of what I tried to get in, you know, regarding that article I posted on Sunday. Just, I saw a lot of, and like, believe me, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about what the season looks like. It looks like we've addressed some issues while others maybe have taken a step back. I think Dungy is making some efforts to, to run smarter, stay healthier, who knows. Uh, I, but I do think a lot of Syracuse fans are kind of, you know, they're drawn to the allure of, of, of being back and feeling like this program's back on its feet. I think that, that you know, Syracuse being quote-unquote back has a lot of different connotations. I think that means different things to different people. Personally, I think consistently winning six games is back. Some people think that winning nine or ten is back, and unfortunately for the, for the latter group, that's not a, a very realistic outcome for, for this program. But if you just want to look at us as a potential, you know, bowl contender, I mean, I, I would say we definitely are. Um, but I would say, like, those, those who were putting the blinders on saying 4-0, here we come, like, let's take it one game at a time. We could very well start 4-0. However, there are some real concerns. There are ones I highlighted in the post. I highlighted them a little bit in those recaps uh, that I just named earlier. Like, there are issues, but because this team is so young, I think is, is why I'm taking a little bit of encouragement that, that a lot of these things can fix themselves, even if not all of them. Yeah, there is definitely improvement that can be made during the season, especially, I, I hope, for the offensive line. They've been, I wouldn't say bad, I'd say shaky through two games, um, especially we, we discussed the whole, like, when DeVito came in situation against Western Michigan. Happened and then again. Wagner, it happened again. And even, like, throughout the game, like, Wagner got more pressure than they should. Not quite the central Connecticut debacle of last season, but um, by debacle, I mean we won, like, the same margin as we won this game. But still disconcerting enough. And then we saw that offensive line step up a couple weeks later and, be, and, and handle the best defensive front in the country against Clemson. So uh, hopefully we see something more like that uh, in the future. And we're going to need it because Florida State has some, has some guys on that side of the ball uh, on the defensive front, although they haven't played great yet. Uh, at least I saw all the Virginia Tech game. They really weren't a huge factor. I saw parts of the Sanford game. Um, they didn't seem to be a huge factor. But the, it's... You know, they have a lot of talent on the front line, and, and and as does, like, the ACC as a whole. Obviously, there's no more Bradley Chubb, but Clemson has, you know, the very well-documented four all-ACC-type players up there, and, and BC has some guys, and NC State's has talent up there. So it's going to be an issue for us going forward. Hopefully, the offensive line continues to meld and develop and, 
and improve throughout the season. Otherwise, this could get a little sticky. Yeah, I mean, Florida State's not necessarily going to be able to generate a ton of pressure on us. Um, we also should be able to get rid of the ball pretty quickly. I just want to see the run game be able to develop. So, you know, Florida State should be able to generate some pressure. Connecticut, maybe not as much. Um, but yeah, then we get Clemson. We get a team like Pitt that can generate pressure. NC State, like, those games are coming up quickly on the schedule. And, and if we're not able to start off this offensive line quickly, um, I, I'm very... I'm very concerned for the type of pressure that Dungy's going to be, be under again. And obviously, you know, the second you start mentioning too much pressure for Dungy, that starts equating to hits. And that starts equating to how every season so far for him has ended at Syracuse. So, like, I, again, I'm not going to paint this picture that it can't be fixed. Um, I, I think what's more worrisome for me than anything is, is how it's the problems that are happening on the interior of the line where these guys are all back. You know, if, if the right tackle position with you know Coda Martin if for some reason he just like wasn't in rhythm with all these guys yet then sure I could be a lot calmer about that but because I'm seeing all these lapses in the interior part of the line and guys who are veterans and and you know including like Aaron Roberts who's one of our best Evan Adams again like that part of the line's getting blown up and and, and that's really that's really tough to to see at any point but it's especially tough for a team that needs to be able to run the ball inside um, consistently in order to make this offense go yeah, it was the interior, especially in the first half um, when I was paying closer attention. Like, the interior of the line was really the, the problem point, as you said. And Evan Adams was out for the first half, I believe, right? He, uh, yeah. That was a suspension. So he came back in the second half, um, and things seemed to go a little better as we, you know, for the couple drives we had Dungy in. But overall, like, you, you do not want to be giving up inside pressure, especially with Dungy quarterback. He's very good at finding those seams in, in the, like, inside the pocket and, and stepping up into them and then making a lot of his best run plays through those teams. Um, you don't want to have him floating outside because then he, you run the risk of having really bad throws off your back leg or you have sacks that are like nine, ten-yard losses. Um, and he's not going to be able to outrun, you know, the Florida State defensive ends or the Clemson defensive ends on the edge as easily as he was able to outrun the guys from Widener and Western Michigan. So I'd much prefer if there's going to be pressure, like I'd rather have my senior quarterback dealing with the pressure coming off the edge than you know, guys blowing up the interior because that's a lot more difficult to deal with because it's right in your face. Oh, completely. I, I think that, you know, again, it, it's not something that, that's unfixable, but it's something that's definitely a concern. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing how that gets addressed going forward. Um, the other thing, and I know we already mentioned it a little bit, Devin Butler, I, I don't know how long he is for the starting lineup. Dino seemed to have some positive things to say about him. I doubt he would have said anything negative about him anyway. Um, during today's presser, but he, uh, you know, he, he highlighted his blocking. He did have a few grabs, but I did feel like, um, while he made some progress from week one, there were still drops. He really did get beat badly on that uh, that interception in the end zone. Um, just guy had complete positioning on him. Um, I felt like he had another couple balls where it was just very confused as to what happened. He was really getting like kind of out muscled by. Uh, much smaller defenders. I mean, he's Butler's what six three, six four. Like, he's a guy who should be able to to outposition people, and like we have receivers that can do that already. But um, I, I think for Butler, the biggest problem too was the fact that Taj Harris came in and uh, to, to replace him for a bit in the second quarter, and within seconds he'd caught a, a twenty you know, twenty plus yard touchdown pass. So depth chart says that Butler's starting again. I think I believe it for now. Um, I think that the leash is getting shorter and shorter for him, though. Um, while Sean Riley, a guy who also kind of struggled in game one, 
also was dropping balls, but did seem to to find a better way to make bigger plays uh, when, when he when he was able to to wrangle the, the football. Yeah, the Butler thing, he definitely. I mean, he was better than he was in Week One, but it would have been kind of hard to be worse. Um, the blocking is important, but we just not like we were running a ton of outside like counters and and sweeps and stuff with his offense. Like most of the stuff's been in the tackle box. Um, we already have guys to block too. I mean, Pierce has been pulled in a ton. Elmore and Kleinberg have all been pulled in a ton to block on the edge. Right. So that's not to discount like the importance of outside blocking. Right. Um, receivers who block well tend to do really well at the next level, especially like it's a it's a thing that NFL teams look for, and it's a, it's definitely a big part of a game, but. It's not every. It's not like going to get you. You know, it's not going to leave you in as a starter when you you're just not a factor in terms of the pass, the actual pass catching component of playing receiver. Um, and then when you like you said, Taj Harris obviously only had the one catch, but it was probably the most impressive offensive play of the game, uh, at least by a receiver. Costas continued to look really good. I think he had what he had one big one called off, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. An offensive pass interference. Yeah. An offensive like, pass interference. It was like a little ticky tack, but yeah, it wasn't like the most egregious call, but it was like eh, that was a, that was in the end zone, I think, right? Yeah, I'd be but, much more angry in like an ACC game, right? Um, so I mean, he looked it again. Uh, not the same kind of numbers, but like enough of a performance where you're like, okay, that wasn't a total fluke. Like he was still imposing that mismatch that we saw in the first week, and and we were, I think, trying to sweat the ball around more. Um, and then Riley and, and Nikeem Johnson both looked really good. It was really nice to see. We've talked about Sean Riley uh, at length over the last couple of years where his uh, coming in and out of the offense in, in weird <laughs> bursts. But um, The tip drill uh, catch was fun. The tip drill catch was amazing. Uh, just really, really, I mean, it was not far off the ground when he caught it. That was just really good. Um, he just paid really good attention and, and, you know, was very fast twitch there. And not a play a lot of guys would have made. And it's not like he would have blamed him for not making it, but he – he was right there on it and, and very aware of the situation. And then Johnson looked really good, too. We talked about him. Uh, with, he led the team with 65 yards, and he had a store of his own. He's going to be uh, so good. Like I can't yeah, wait so, for him to like round into being like a feature guy in this offense. Yeah, so there are there are guys here. And then Pierce only had the one touch of three yards, and it was a really nice touchdown on that, that like somewhat of a trick play uh, that we had going, which was nice. Um, I expect Hill to continue to expand. You know, we saw last year, like, right around midseason when he started to peak. Um, but we haven't seen, like, everything he can do yet. So, yeah, I'm not super I, – I feel better about the wide receiving core as a whole uh, this week. But Butler remains a bit of an enigma, and it would be nice if he woke up. I, I know Dino – Dino knows him better than we do, so I'm sure, like, the, the kind words today were, you know, how he feels like he needs to handle the situation with that one player, where other players might be more amenable to more critical uh, words from his coach. But we'll see. Uh, if, if, if Butler can't be a guy, we have at least like three or four here who seem to have flashes of being able to be one of the main guys. Plus you throw in Moniel and Strickland in the passing game, plus Pierce at tight end. Like, I'm not super worried about it. We just need some of these guys to work, not just like one. Yeah, I mean, like you and I have been saying, um, as, as much as it's an experience, it seems, you know, a little weird and... and you know, seeing like the ball spread around this much, like, is a good thing though. Like, I, I want as many of these guys as possible to get experience. Maybe that doesn't happen against Florida State necessarily, but you know, we started going down that road against against Wagner. We'll probably go down that road against UConn too. Just getting as many of these guys involved, like getting Taj Harris that touchdown on his first catch, like that's a great confidence builder. Like, we still haven't really seen Cameron Jordan or RTB or some of the other guys, like 
Anthony Quayle hasn't really been seen either. Like, there, there's a ton of guys here. Ed Hendricks. Like, there, there are a bunch of guys left that we can still get on the field. I think it's just whether or not Dino's comfortable with them. You know, he's not one to, to make a player wait just by way of, you know, what year they are. Um, he, I, I think we're going to see, um, you know, more and more different combos out there um, just to see what these guys can do. And again, like Butler or anybody, like, not just to pick on him, like anybody doesn't necessarily show up. I think Dino's going to have a pretty short leash for them uh, for the rest of this year. So, and, and, and rightfully so, considering like, how much this team really needs the passing game uh, to succeed with with the run game kind of you know hot and cold and still largely dependent on Dungy. Yeah, it's it. This week will be a, a good test because Florida State obviously has been pretty well known for its defensive backs over the last couple of years, and they have a lot of talent in in that group. So, uh, granted, that is a group that we'll talk about more after the half, but uh, a group that gave up a lot of yards this past weekend. So, the receivers will have their chance to to prove themselves this weekend. Agreed, agreed. Um, like we said, there's not like a ton to talk about the Wagner game. Uh, a couple notes. Uh, Eric Dungy tied the uh, school record for touchdown passes in one game. Five. Uh, Ryan Nassib get it, did it against Maine back in 2010. And then uh, Zach Mahoney, of all people, did it against Pitt back in 2016. Y'all remember the game. Uh, is the highest scoring regulation contest in FBS history. Yeah, I mean, if we had left Dungy in, like, odds are he would have broken it, and he'll have a couple more shots if we wanted to go for six. Uh, UConn looks Maybe this weekend. Vul- vulnerable. Yeah, well, Florida State looks quite vulnerable. <laughs> UConn looks Ooh. pretty atrocious. Uh, and then Pitt just gave up so many, so many points to Penn State. And Penn State's good, but the Penn State passing attack hasn't even looked like all that crisp yet, and Pitt was just so outmet, overmatched. So I'm not saying that Pitt's terrible. They might have just gotten in their own heads about that rivalry after a lot of trash talk from both sides. But, man, they did not look like a team anywhere ready to compete with, uh, with a team like Penn State and uh, definitely not even like the team they were two years ago when they beat Clemson. So uh, we'll see. I'm not going to count out the Panthers as a threat yet. But uh, but they're looking more like the team you and I said they were. Yes, we... we that we did not. It does not appear at this point that we 20, uh, 2016 USC in ourselves with Pitt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Pitt's going to the Rose Bowl. Twenty eighteen USC might twenty sixteen USC themselves. Yeah, well, twenty eighteen USC. I don't think anyone had like super high expectations for. But uh, yeah, they have, they don't look great either. Not world beaters. No, not at all. Um, you brought up UConn. We'll talk them next week. However, uh, one of the most miserable box scores I've ever seen. Uh, I haven't looked at the full one, but I've seen enough people talking about it. I'm going to do it right now. I know this, I know what the store, like, roughly what the store was. 814 yards allowed. Yes. I mean, Boise, State's, Boise State looks really, really good. That, like, better horrifyingly. Than, I think they're going to wipe the floor thought. with Oklahoma State this weekend. They very well may. Oklahoma State looks fine. Um, yeah, but it won't matter. Boise State, what I really enjoy about this box store is the, the consist like, they wound it down as the game went on, but they still scored a touchdown every quarter, and they went from 24-17-14-7. Like, it was like they were they were je- gently bringing the engine to a stop, but not until, like, they were totally ready. Um, Brett Rippon is really, really good. Just a really great college career. 400 yards on the ground is absurd, and 418 yards in the air is also absurd. When was the last time... I, did, did someone look up the numbers of like when the last time we had a 400 and 400 game from a team? Um, I'm sure Texas Tech probably did it at some point. Well, I don't know. Those Leech teams were not all that balanced. No, not even like the Leech teams, like the more recent ones. Oh, you think? Oh, like, maybe. Well, because there was that game, what was it, like a couple of years ago, 
the uh, the Kingsbury, not the Kingsbury game, what's his face, Mahomes, where they had like 900 yards of total offense or something. Oh, right. That was that was a shootout. Like they were... Yeah, I forgot who that oh. Maybe it was against Baylor. Who knows? Um, that was a potential, um, I would assume, in the 400, 400 range. Like maybe some of the peak Baylor teams. That's possible. Baylor Baylor makes more sense because they were always a little more balanced. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna go on Twitter and <laughs> and while we're discussing and see if I can find. It. I'm sure someone someone had, it was like such a it's such an anomaly that I assume someone looked it up after Boise. Yeah. Um, like obviously people were taking note of it, but yeah, just crazy. And UConn just does not look very good. Um, well, I appreciated so. the fact that David Pindell, after like a strong dual threat performance in Game One against UCF, did not look good at all in Game Two. Um, I think Boise's defense is probably better than UCF's. Um, it's also really tough to judge UConn at this point because, like, who knows how truly bad they are when they face two t- top 25 teams to start the season. That's true. That's about as hard a schedule. I mean, that's probably the hardest back-to-back weeks of non-P5 teams you could get. Um, I mean, hosting UCF, I guess, and they looked okay for a minute. But then going to – they were in Boise, right? And they just got, mm-hmm. just got waxed. So, like, honestly, like, the store doesn't even – like, 62-7 to 7 seems more normal than what the actual numbers look like. Like, Boise probably should have scored more. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. Um, I know a couple random notes, uh, just to go with everything else. Like, you know, while we're closing out the first half, I don't know how much you paid attention to the ACC scoreboard. It seems like the conference isn't really doing that well this year. Uh, some of those opponents are on our schedule. Some of them are not. Um, I felt like Louisville really struggled against Indiana State. Uh, for much of that game. I mean, they pulled away, but didn't really look that impressive doing so. NC State kind of just slept walk through another game. Uh, Notre Dame, ACC adjacent, looked pedestrian at best against Ball State. Um, I, I'm not I'm not going to extrapolate this out to Syracuse's schedule. I'm just going to point out how strange um, all of this is. Yeah, I, I think I think you can, like North Carolina is probably just bad. Again, which is not good for uh, Larry Fedora um, of, you know, football, military, industrial complex fame. Um, <laughs> they lost to ECU is was probably looking like the worst team in FBS outside of UTEP and Kansas. Uh, obviously, Kansas got a big win this weekend, so congrats to them. Um, UTEP is horrid, uh, but they have a new coach, and we'll see how well that lasts. Um, ECU was right in that conversation. Stadium Montgomery was a a strong contender to be the first coach fired this year. Um, and they beat UNC by multiple touchdowns, I think. 22 points. Yeah. And now Larry That's, Fedora is the number one coach to get fired this year. Like, you can't you can't, you can't, can't embarrass your school in a, in a layout press conference where you know every question that's going to be asked and then also lose to, to one of the worst teams in FBS uh, in your state by 22 points. I, I'm, I should have asked my parents. I'll, I'll ask them if there are any um, R state signs popping uh, up around the uh, the freeways in North Carolina as as we speak. Also, to a former Duke assistant, which I, I, they probably don't even know, but I'm sure there are a couple people that were extra stunned by that. Although I'm sure I'm not sure how how much uh, North Carolina football fans are paying attention to where Duke assistants end up. But yes, that was the overall. The ACC was probably due for a slight step back. And, you know, it might be a year where, where the teams are just not as good across the board because they've been very, very good for a couple of years now. Uh, and hopefully Syracuse can take advantage. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think Duke might be screwed because Daniel Jones' injury. 
Um, I think that Virginia Tech, we'll really see how good they are because if Florida State's as bad as we think, then that win by Virginia Tech in game one isn't necessarily what we believed it was at the time. You know, obviously Florida State's probably a six-win team or so. Um, You know, Louisville really don't know because they look bad against Alabama. They didn't really look great against Indiana State. NC State, again, sleepwalking. Like, BC, to be honest, is probably one of the three or four best teams in the conference. Uh, BC is definitely, like, living up to, or at least so far, they haven't played anyone really, but they they have done what they they were supposed to do. They looked like every bit as good as people were hyping them up to be. So that's a little scary, but if NC State and Louisville and all these other schools are going to look, you know, as poor or as mediocre as they have, like, it, it works itself out. And, and Syracuse has looked, you know, better than people probably thought outside of outside of uh, our bubble where we, you know, thought we were bowl contenders here. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's one of those things I want the ACC to look good, but my first priority is Syracuse making a bowl and looking good, so I'm way more concerned about that, and I'm not going to worry too much about, you know, the ACC having one down year because I think the ACC has done – enough to build back up its like reputation that like one down year isn't going to make people like acting like they were in 2013 or whatever. Yeah. I I think we're going to be fine there. And I was talking to some people in the comments and like if Clemson goes undefeated and and, and makes the playoff that, and and we go six and six, like that's a plus for us on both ends because I mean, whatever on Clemson, but it could be anybody. I don't care. It could be Virginia tech. As long as somebody gets the playoff, we get paid. And if we make a bowl game in the process because the conference took a half step back this year, all for it. Absolutely. I think that brings us to halftime. We could jump in a little early so we could talk more Florida State. Um, Have quite a bit to discuss about the team, what they've done. I know uh, Bill Connolly had that great article today uh, about what the hell is wrong with Florida State and pointed out a couple big things. Um, I might take them apart for an article tomorrow or Wednesday. Worst case, we'll just talk about them here. So. Oh, I found the answer to the team that had... This is really unfortunate for us. Oh, God. Is it Florida State? No. There are three teams. The, the, the Boise State game was, according to college football reference... Ooh, one of them was Louisville, uh, wasn't it? Yep. The other one was Louisville USF, wasn't it? Louisville in 2016 <laughs> had 431 uh, passing and 414 rushing. Uh, week two? Week two a couple years ago. So that was one. And the other one, we'll never, you're never going to guess. I'm going to tell you. 2012 Louisiana Tech oh boy. Uh, against Idaho had 431 passing and 408 rushing. That's fun. That was the um, uh, that was the last year of the uh, the WAC, wasn't it? That was the WAC. That was Sonny Dykes, and that was a nine and three Louisiana Tech team uh, led by uh, Kenneth Dixon on the ground and who was the quarterback? I remember they didn't uh, go to a bowl because they thought they were deserving of a better bowl than they got invited to. Yeah, Colby Cameron. That was a really good team. They had, you know, a 4,000-yard passer and an almost 1,200-yard rusher and then another 740-yard rusher. Last year, the WAC was dope. They had, like, three top 25 teams. Yep, and then they folded because conference realignment, which yep. we were a part of, but not directly involved in the WAC folding. We weren't directly involved probably... in anything, Dan. Don't let anybody put that on us. <laughs> it wasn't our fault. Oh, that was the year San Jose State went 12, 11-2. And two yeah. And which... have been utter trash since then. I, I wonder why. Home, but... <laughs> Um, well, Mike, you know, Mike McIntyre uh, did a nice true. job this weekend. That was, uh, he was, I wouldn't say he was in the hot seat because Colorado was so bad and what he did a couple years ago was, was impressive. A lot of questions. But, there. like, it looked like it might have been a fluke, and uh, he had a really nice win against uh, Nebraska on the road this week. Scott Frost, just, just welcome home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think people were, were, were hyping. Like, I think Scott Frost is really good and he'll do really well there. 
I think people were overestimating how well he was going to do, like, from the drop. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, and Colorado I, might be pretty decent, so we'll see. Yeah, we will see, because I, I was not high on Colorado, as we recall from... Maybe it wasn't this Pac-12 episode that got to the uh, airwaves, but there was, was Pac- there was a Pac-12 episode where I was not high on Colorado. Yes, it's, it's the Pac-12 episode you can hear in, like, another dimension. And, uh, Another universe where the only change is that Earth our original episode got not released. That would be the worst episode of Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Dan, what have you been drinking for the past week? Well, not even week, like five, four or five days. Uh, yeah, I, I still have a cold, but I was out a lot this weekend for a friend's birthday, which was dumb, but we did it. Um, so I had a couple things. Uh, I had uh, Gang of Blades by Burial, a uh, really good North Carolina brewery. Uh, which is a really solid uh, pale ale. Um, I had a bunch of sours and doses this weekend. Just like the places we went, happened to have a lot of those in the menu that I want to try. I had uh, some of the best ones: the Kimmy, the Yink, and the Holy Goza by Anderson Valley uh, over your way. Um, they make a lot of really good doses and sours, and definitely among them, uh, I had uh, Distill Brewing from uh, Normal, Illinois. Uh, their Wild Sour series, their Syncopathic. I had a Doza from Five Burrows, which I've had before, which is quite good. And then in the non-Doza and Sour department, I had uh, a Dream City uh, IPA from Other Half, uh, which is always solid. I had uh, an 18-watt, uh, which is a Session IPA from Single Cut, which is always good. And then uh, another, you know, putting a toe in the pumpkin beer waters here again, uh, the Imperial Pumpkin Ale by Weyerbacher, which is I've had before and um, kind of forgot how good it was. Really, really solid. A little little darker, a little more fully flavored than some of like, the more pale pumpkins, but very good nonetheless. Not a bad list. Not a ton for me. Um, kind of took it easy this weekend. I uh, had Luponic Distortion from Firestone. I've mentioned them a couple times. Pete's Port. Uh, they had a new IPA, The Fish. That was uh, on draft near me. And then had a, from Indie Brewing Company around L.A., uh, Anti-Gravity, their uh, Brute IPA. I don't know if you guys have those out by you yet, but kind of Brute IPAs are turning into a trend out here where they're like champagne-style IPAs. Much drier finish. Uh, I haven't seen those, but uh, I'm definitely interested in something that kind of shakes it up a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think they started around San Francisco. I feel like somebody, I feel like they started doing them a little bit more up there. I've seen a bunch down here. Um, I'm sure we'll get it in like nine, like next spring. Yeah, and then everyone will be lining up outside for that, and the Haze Bros will finally go away. Who knows? Um, but yeah, for some reason, felt like hell on Sunday. I'm not sure why. So that was. Or sorry, Saturday, I felt like hell. So that was the, the end of my drinking was Friday night. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, solid though. Yeah. I will probably be going a little easy. Well, no, actually, no, that's completely wrong. I'm, my birthday <laughs> this weekend. I will not be going easier this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have like completely, I've had this cold and it's like ruined my brain. So I can focus on like some things, but then I like, forgot what key to put in what lock in my door. And also I like, forgot my birthday is Wednesday and other fun things. So maybe that's old. Maybe that's just me getting old and maybe it's, uh, just i can't get over this damn illness hey i'm uh i i'm hoping you, you're over it and i'm hoping wednesday is the day that you can uh you can put it to rest for good yes that would be appropriate that'd be a solid week hopefully wednesday i'm fine i will have one of the white oak high allies in my fridge and then hopefully this weekend will be fun um, and hopefully Syracuse wins that'd be that'd be a good a good 28th birthday present from from the old alma mater Syracuse usually deals me a, a random non-conference loss, or actually in-conference loss, on my birthday in early January every year. It's usually Louisville 
or, or Boston College or something else stupid. But alas, they, they give me so much other joy at other times of the year. Um, maybe this Saturday. So talking a little bit of Florida State here, Dan. Uh, Bill identifies four things that are definitely bad about Florida State right now. Third down struggles for them. Uh, red zone offense is terrible. They are not good at forcing third downs, which sounds great for us. Um, and slow starts. Uh, these all sound great for Syracuse. Um, we've started fast this year after, I think, a couple of years of starting slower than we would have liked. We have looked better in the red zone. Our red zone defense was actually pretty good last year. This year, they haven't really been tested that much. because that's the other problem, though, is that we're not ones to necessarily make you go to the red zone. We just let you score from 70 yards out. Our third down defense was actually pretty good last year. We, at one point, were the number one third down defense in the country. We faded. I was say, it, was, it was amazing last year, and then it kind of fell off. And it, it probably, you know. Still it finished like 20th. Yeah, it regressed to the mean hard when we stopped scoring points, but it was still good. Yeah, it was still fine. Um, and yeah, I, I, I would say that, that these four things sound good, but again, like caveats abound for, for Syracuse given the, the, the opponents. In, in weeks and, one and two. And sample size. Right. Always the problem in college football in general. The sample size is rarely enough. Yeah, right now I have, I'm just pulling up CFB stats. Syracuse on offense is 56th in third down uh, conversions, which is not bad. It's fine. We, I feel then, like we face fewer of them. I mean, that could be completely wrong. I didn't get to rewatch this week yet. I'm doing that tonight. Let me look. We had 17 in the first week. That we, we, we yeah, went seven we, of we seventeen. Had, we, we I, I just looked at the wagner. We definitely had fewer. Uh, we were six of thirteen, so a couple fewer. Um, and then we were two of two of three on uh, fourth. I feel like we're uh, playing. We're actually we're we're getting better gains on first down though, which is helping. Obviously, like we don't like when we face third downs. I feel like we're facing long ones, but we're doing a better job of picking up quality yardage on first, which is really what keeps this offense going at a positive clip. Uh, on defense. Right now, we have surrendered seven of 28 uh, third downs, which is tied for 19th in the country with uh, Boise State, who we were just talking about in South Alabama, a couple behind Alabama, actual Alabama, uh, who's in 17th. Um, and that attempt number is pretty in line. Like, it seems around the median of where these, like, top teams are. So not like we have only attempted, like, faced a few third downs. Like, it's a pretty normal number. So that's a good sign. If that's a thing that we've been a strength... Like, year-over-year strength is, a, I think, a good sign that, like, the defense buckles down and can, can make those big, crucial stops. Yeah, and I mean, this is where the, the Syracuse linebackers, the fact that they're not necessarily, like, especially Ryan Guthrie, not necessarily built for, for the traditional Tampa 2. This is where their strength more as a, as, as a you know, pressure-focused, well, as pressure-focused group can, can really come in handy because, you, you know, you see it a lot. I, I remember seeing, uh, I think, Tyrell Richards pop up a couple times. Uh, Ryan Guthrie, Andrew Armstrong, like those guys were in the backfield last week, uh, applying some pressure, especially on third down and being disruptive. Like, I know you and I have said it before. I don't want the Schaefer defense necessarily, but if we can find any way to cause a little bit more havoc, it, it, it would really, really be helpful. I think you saw Syracuse wasn't necessarily blitzing at the beginning of the game against Wagner. Um, and it did seem like Wagner was getting a lot of room to run. Um, suddenly they started blitzing and blitzing relentlessly, and that's when Wagner's offense pretty much came to a grinding halt um, because it didn't give the quarterback time to spot receivers downfield. It didn't expose our secondary. Like, the secondary's young, and I think there's a high upside to it. Like, Cordy is, is 
pretty good. I think that, that Cisco is a great big play guy, but a guy who might need a little more time cover-wise. Chris Frederick seems to have taken a little bit of a step back and maybe scoop too. I'm not sure. As little time as we can get with quarterbacks just sitting in the pocket and, and finding their man out there, like they're going to find space and, and they're going to find a lot of it, as you saw in that one touchdown drive from Wagner, as you saw for pretty much the whole third quarter for Western Michigan. Like we need to apply a ton of pressure this year. And, and that means the defense play looks a lot different than even Dino wanted. But I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that that becomes something. I mean, against a team like Florida State that struggled off in terms of their offensive line, it could mean the difference between a win and a loss. It's just us just blitzing them relentlessly and seeing what happens. Yeah, their offensive line really, like, uh, I have way more from, from the Virginia Tech game, but like really, really struggled. Um, and Virginia Tech going into the year, pretty much the talking point about the defense was this might be the year that Bud Foster's defense takes a huge step back because they were pretty young across the board. And even so, like, they were absolutely relentless in getting after DeAndre Francois, who is, who is like, his numbers are okay, and but he doesn't look quite as as polished as he even did as a, as a redshirt freshman a couple years ago when he started uh, in that final, that second to last season under Jimbo Fisher. Um, he was hurt in the first game last year. But I've seen some people talking about the possibility that he is just not quite up to the transition from the Fisher offense to the Taggart offense, which is interesting because... Obviously, Jimbo is like the like closest to a true pro style guy you're going to get in the in college, and you would think that would be the more uh, you know difficult to grasp system. And Taggart's much more of a, a classic college offense, um, but it does seem like there's something that hasn't totally clicked where he's making like the appropriate reads and and really hasn't latched on to like his guys. But I think the more the more distressing thing if I'm a Florida State fan is the running game which is supposed to be a strength for Cam Akers and uh, Jack Patrick uh, is really not gotten untracked at all like they just haven't looked good like they didn't do anything in Virginia Tech and then even in Sanford uh, they ran for 134 yards but it was on 35 carries um, and the only score was a Francois punched one in but not like a super productive run game even though you have a guy like Akers who's you know touted as one of the probably five or ten best backs in the country and I have to imagine the offensive line is is very much responsible for that oh i absolutely agree i think the offensive line is the biggest part of it I, I think one interesting thing in general though on on florida state and on taggart coming in is that like people forget like right before the syracuse usf game back in the what was it 2016 2015 i think it was 20 it was 2015 right it was before, 2015 yeah and 2016 when they were awesome a whole year yeah right right before that game usf change to an up-tempo like Taggart wasn't necessarily like a big spread up-tempo guy he's a hardball guy he's uh he's he's a power running game guy and basically like USF discovered that their most effective offense was when they were going no huddle so they basically just like took the offense they were running and just put it into like hyperspeed and well, also had and also had, you know, Quentin Flowers and Mac and Biner right. and all those guys. But, like, I mean, this was, yeah, in 2015, they figured it out. Oregon already had the pieces in place to do it when he got there. So it's hard to really take one year. I mean, obviously, like, they did well, and Herbert's a great quarterback. But, like, it's very hard to extrapolate that out of it working if you walk into a pro-style type setup the way Florida State is, even with those level of athletes. You know, even with the the speed that a lot of teams play with, like Florida State doesn't have a specific style that kids play with down there necessarily the way they do in Texas, um, you know, parts of Oklahoma. Like, 
you'll find a lot of different systems in Florida, in, in the state of Florida, and not everybody's ready. I mean, it's the same problem that we face a little bit. And I do wonder, like, if Taggart is just running into a natural growing pain that, like, people just sort of erased from their mind. You know, I even forgot for a few that he wasn't always this known as this coach, and it's amazing how quickly a reputation, I mean, even Babers, to be honest, how quickly a reputation changes. Like, Babers wasn't known as this at all until he got to Baylor. So um, I, I think that, I think the Florida State's going to be fine, obviously. Might even be fine this year. I just don't know when everything's going to click because right now, yeah, you're, you're seeing those growing pains that you were alluding to with, with Francois and how that's become kind of contagious for the rest of the team. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of what's happening um, to a greater extent with like DeVito when he comes in and he's not necessarily, he just isn't at game speed yet. And I think Francois might not be either right now. Yeah. And Francois is coming off an injury. So that is something to, you know, think about there. But it's interesting because if you had told me going into the year, if you had asked me to pick between like a duo to start with a new offense with uh, between Herbert and Royce Freeman or Francois and Akers, I don't think talent-wise it's that huge a deficit. Um, Francois was really, really good as a redshirt freshman two years ago. Uh, led them to, I believe it was the Orange Bowl against Michigan. Yep. Um, looked like he was going to be, like, he was on Heisman list all last offseason, and then he got hurt in, like, the second quarter in Alabama, and that was it. Um, and then they, uh, who was the other quarterback whose yeah. name is slipping my mind? James Blackman. Uh, yes, and Blackman was... Not as good last year, but kind of grew into the role. He was a true freshman last year, and he was very much not expected to be thrust into that. And then they had a, a quarterback battle this offseason. Francois was named quarterback, starting quarterback, uh, maybe two weeks ahead of the season. So it lasted relatively long. I don't know how decisive it was, but you would think, like, it's interesting that Francois is struggling as much as he is when he had a guy who he had to beat out. It wasn't like Francois just inherited the job. There was a very real question over whether it would be him or Blackman, considering Blackman was, like, one of the few bright spots for Florida State last year and kind of led them through a really crappy situation where everyone seemed checked out. But he was, like, the true freshman quarterback who was playing, you know, hard and, and, and quite well. So the fact that Francois won the job but still looks, you know, not unsure of what exactly he's supposed to be doing in any given situation is a bit of, is is interesting. No, hundred percent. I think that this is, you know, what it's it's the same deal with like some of Dungey's struggles too. Though is that if Francois doesn't get it, I think part of it might also be the offense, like well, the offensive line. Like if he doesn't have the time to to make some quick progressions, or if he just feels like he's under pressure immediately, like all of that's going to be effect. Like I'm seeing a lot of the hallmarks of Syracuse's struggles in recent years in this game. Oh, well, in, in in these last two games, at least for Florida State. I mean, I. I didn't expect them to, to struggle with Sanford. I don't think anybody really did. Granted, at the same time, like, they have a really good quarterback. But 475 yards, like, that to me, I, I don't care who you are. Like, it's not, there's a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of really, really good quarterbacks who've never thrown 475 yards against anybody. Yeah, and it's more jarring is that Sanford was up until, what, seven minutes or so in the fourth quarter, and they had a, a five-to-one turnover di- uh, differential. Um, that's like what the Browns did yesterday. Like you were supposed to, you win the game, you win like 95% of those games. The fact that Florida State didn't, wasn't like winning going away is shocking considering Sanford gave them the ball five times and Florida State's the one with like top five, top 10 talent and Sanford's the FCS team. So that's, it's very disconcerting. They just did not take advantage of opportunities at all. Yeah, that's, uh, that to me is probably the most alarming thing of all. If you can't capitalize on that, that like against Sanford, then aside from the pitch sits at the end that sealed it, but like that was like the one, 
like I, I'm going to go back now and like look at, at you know what, how much they stored off the turnovers, but clearly not as much as they should have. Yeah, clearly not as much as they should have. And like overall, like, ugh. like the fact that you you needed that pick six to like make this thing look better than it actually was, that it just it, it it's very very alarming. Yeah, they stored two touchdowns off of the other turnovers. They they stored a touchdown two plays after a fumble, and then they stored actually no, the only two stores off of turnovers were uh, the touchdown after a fumble in the first half which was to make it uh, 23-21, and then the pick six, which sealed it, which made it 36-26 after Florida State had taken the lead a little bit earlier. But, um, yeah, overall, like, the not a great ratio considering there are five interceptions and you're playing a team, or five turnovers in total, and you're playing a team that is uh, definitely at a huge talent, talent disadvantage. So um, I, I think I'm – this is all, like, dumb, but I think I'd rather that Florida State won that game, though, because I think – and 0-2 Florida State uh, would be uh, a little scarier in terms of, like, motivation. Like, they would really not want to be going 0-3 versus, like, 1-1. One one. There's a little bit more of a chance that they're resting on their laurels, although that's, you know, kind of pseudoscientific, dumb sports talk radio stuff. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, there's – it's – I think more than anything, it's just, like, not provable. Like, I think there's something to be said for momentum, even if it's not something that you can always – like, it's not something dependable or reliable or provable – you and I have both been in arenas and, and watching games when momentum, you see it happen. You, you, can't put a, you can't put a number to it, but you see it. And, like, I, I'm not going to make this into, like, an existential conversation about, like, is momentum real or not, but it's just more in, like, the hot hand theory and all that. But there's something to be said for, you know, once you're down, there's, there's some groups of people that will, like, and this goes for, you know, work, this goes for groups of friends. This goes, this goes for anything, not just, you know, football teams. But there's, like, some groups will just, you know, retreat in on themselves, and some won't. And, like, it's, it would be hard to say which Florida State team we'd, we'd be seeing at 0-2. At I think at 1-1, one one, you're not necessarily having that conversation internally yet. You're more just looking at, okay, like, got the win, now let's, now let's move on. And that might not necessarily mean you know, move on to Syracuse. It might just mean move on with the rest of our season. Like, when does Florida State face Miami this year? Early October. Um, it's 10 It is October 6th. Yep. All right, so they're not necessarily the looking ahead, ahead. No, they're in northern Illinois next week, so it's definitely not a uh, – it's maybe a letdown spot, but it's not a not a look-ahead spot. Northern Illinois is going to be tough. They look pretty feisty since Utah. I mean, their defense is very good. Yeah, Utah also just might not be very good. I don't, um, I don't really I, – I honestly, I think it's Northern Illinois' like defense because I actually think Utah's offense might be okay. Like it's – I feel like their offense is never like all that lights out or at least it hasn't been since they joined the Pac-12. But like I feel like Northern Illinois' defense is just really, really good and that's uh, – I'm going to chalk that up uh, as to why that was such a struggle, which to me says some – gives some very bad vibes for Florida State's in, in for no matter what happens against us. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, we're getting towards the end here. Um, let's do do a, a, an extended predictions series here. Uh, Dan, I guess, what do you think is going to happen? Maybe some some key touch points in this game. Who's going to matter? Things like that. Um, I'm still not ready to totally like totally buy in that we're going to be Florida State. I, I'm just really concerned about their talent. 
I think I have enough con- concerns about our defense that I, I do think this could be a game where Cam Akers gets, re- uh, gets going. And our own offensive line issues scare me a bit. Uh, Florida State does have talent on the defensive front, although it hasn't been really shown itself. So, like, on paper, I think I get why, why Syracuse is getting looked at, like, pretty even here, if not, like, even a slight favorite because of the home field advantage. But uh, I'm going to go with Florida State. I'm going to go with Florida State uh, 34-28. All right. I, I really want to pick against Syracuse here, but I feel like i got to go with the orange. Uh, I'm going to be the anti-disloyalty for once. I think Syracuse wins this one. Um, I'm going to go 45-41. Okay, shootout. Absolute, absolute disaster from a defensive standpoint. Um, What's the uh, over-under? Have they set that yet? They haven't set that yet. Whatever it is, take the over and run. <laughs> like, I'm looking. Uh, so Florida State is currently two and a half point. They're open at two and a half point favorites. It's actually moving pretty heavy Florida State. It's three and a half to four points in the the line there. Um, so the money is on Florida State right now. Uh, but the over under is sixty three. So what? Mash the over. Jesus Christ! I need to find a sports book. <laughs> so my 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 pick was at sixty two. So I was actually slightly under, but sixty three does feel pretty pretty good uh if i was to bet i'd probably actually bet over there yeah i i I would bet the over i'd bet the over until we got to about 80 i know i just said 83 in my not 83 i said 86 in my score i i would i would not hesitate until we got to 80 and then i'd start thinking a little bit harder about it I feel 80 would be scary to me because Florida State scored three points against Virginia Tech. Right. And I know that was a little fluky. They should have scored more. Uh, and Virginia Tech is probably pretty good on defense. But, like, there's a chance their offense is just broken. But there's a chance our defense is just broken. So which one of those gives? Right. Yeah, I, I think yeah, 80 was, would, would be my, my pause. I, I think I'd, I'd be fine with anything up up until that. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't, like, get super... Uh, I can't super disagree with you there. I'd uh, I'd probably go under on eighty, but I, I it wouldn't shock me if this game was like forty five forty. Yeah. So yeah, my uh, I'm I'm riding with forty five forty one. I think the Cam Akers runs all over us. I think that we do actually get after DeAndre Francois a little bit. Florida State's real ability to run the ball just comes from us just missing on the blitz, which is something that we were susceptible to when in the Western Michigan game. Um, I think Dungey is able to. I think Dungey gets a little reckless, and that's what you know keeps this one really in the balance the entire game. Uh, but I think we, I think we find a way to run the ball a little bit better than we did against Western Michigan. Um, I think Dungey doesn't have to run for 200 yards. I think we throw the ball reasonably well. I think 45-41. I'm not like super confident about that, but I, I'm choosing to believe. And and, and you know what, I, I would I would choose to believe even if if I picked a loss. I I think that. It's not this team's turning a corner. It's that Florida State's struggling, and and it's just whether or not this team is able to take advantage of that. All right. I, I hope I am obviously rooting for you to be more right than I am. I, I would love to be more right than you are in this case. But, yeah, that's that's really it. I guess uh, we're split here. I know Dan and I usually have the, the same exact opinions on everything because we've been doing the show for so long. So, for once, we are, we, we are in disagreement. Yes, rare, sad moment, sad divide here in the podcast. Oh no! How, how, however, will we repair this broken friendship? <laughs> anyway, uh, Dan, anything else before we depart here? 
no, uh, ready for the game. Uh, excited to, for for a big, like, meaningful ACC game. And if we go three and zero, like, it's I think unless Florida State just horrid, like I think people are pretty justified to to really be getting excited here. Um, people better show up to the UConn game if we if we're three and zero. Yes, yeah, that's one hundred percent true. Uh, I know they won't. Actually, <laughs> I don't know. I, I can never tell. So many leaves. Like, like, they're either going to be like, yeah, the Florida State's absolutely bad, or they're going to still say that UConn's bad. Like, I don't know. People who don't want to show up always find their way. So just let's – eventually I eventually the team will be good enough and people will, will make the, the trek out. But I, I think generally it's uh, – the, the law of Syracuse fandom is like if there is a reason for them to not show up, they will not show up. Well, you saw the numbers from this weekend, right? Where, like, it was one of the worst attended home openers in, like, a long time. Despite the yeah. fact that we moved it a week. And it was a sure win. And Yeah, but people don't like the sure wins. People want us to go and beat Clemson every week. Which is That's the only like, time. Yeah. Like, do you people like, not have any joy in life? Like, like if like, if that's your standard, like, there's no way you enjoy any aspect of your life. It's it's really infuriating, and I try not to get worked about attendance because like, it's just there's so many more important things to get annoyed about um, that that are talked about every week. But like, people want to like know they're gonna show for a win, but also want that win to be against a name opponent. And it just like you're not gonna ever always get that. You have to go to the games, and some are gonna be good, and some are gonna be bad. And you hope that the like overall it's a positive year of experiences for you. And support your team, and it looks better. And and you going helps a small amount towards like looking better to recruits and whatnot. Like I try not to blame people so much for not showing up, but if you don't show up, like don't make some lame ass excuse about like the opponent was bad. That's because, my like, thing. Not... Yeah. I I don't care about the number anymore. What I care about is the excuses that get tossed out there of why they're not going. And, and the, the, the the and also you should be showing up for your team, like. Right. I get, like, more people are going to be interested in showing up for Clemson game. Like, if I was able to get up every week, I'd tailor my schedule more to the big games. But, like, you're at the end of the day, like, you're showing up to watch Syracuse play. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that there is, again, there's, like, this weird standard. I think part of it comes from the basketball team and its long history of success. But, like, hey, you guys should be able to separate those two things from one another. Like, if, if you've been a basketball fan for decades, even if you've been a basketball fan for a decade— you understand the difference between football and basketball. Like, you, 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 yeah. you need to apply the same exact standards to one another. I think there's, there's this weird, again, it's this weird dynamic where, like, if you apply the standard for, you know, how you root for a sports team to any other aspect of your life, you, you, you wouldn't do it. But, like, there, there's this need for these, this, this very vocal group of Syracuse fans in particular, and I'm sure other schools have this too, of, like, this have your cake and eat it too type approach where, like you said, the team need, the, the opponent needs to be good. Syracuse needs to be good. You need to guarantee a win. Like there's all this, there's all these these boxes you need to check in order to show up. And like there's only a handful of football teams in the country that can get all that. Right. So like you, you'd be miserable no matter who you were rooting for, save like Alabama. Yeah, and even Alabama fans leave if it's like a blowout. Like. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, like, more than just a Syracuse problem. It's a college football problem, which is well-documented. But the Syracuse, like, brand of it is very, very infuriating. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I mean, this is even, like, you know, getting rid of the, like, leaves to rake and apples to pick. Yes. Nonsense. Which, again, if, if Syracuse would just take my advice, just have a leaf-raking contest in the quad. And oh, be so good. plant apple trees in the concourse. That'd be such a perfect troll. <laughs> 
They never do it, though. Like, no, because like, they're too afraid of offending their fans that don't show up anyway. If we, if we ran SU Athletics, that would be the first thing I would do. <laughs> like, a- after, after fixing the uniforms, then that would be, okay, so it would be the second thing I'd do, is, is I, would, I would pull the ultimate troll move and, and plant apple trees in the concourse of the dome. You're so good. <laughs> anyway, um, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk. And happy birthday this week, Dan. Enjoy it and uh, go orange. Go orange and thank you. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.